Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. This is the Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on the Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there, it's Coindesk TV. You're watching The Hash with Zach Seward, Adam Levine, and Will Foxley, three of your favorite crypto boys here to get you up to speed on the crypto news for today. All right, lots going on, including an interesting development in the FTX case. Will, I'm tossing it to you. Take it away. That's right. New comments from John J. Ray III, the now CEO, the acting CEO of defunct exchange FTX. According to John Ray III, who spoke with Wall Street, he might reboot old FTX and get it up on its feet again, if that makes sense. Right now, they're going through the creditors, they're looking at all the, the liabilities and assets on the balance sheet, seeing who needs the money now. But they're thinking this might make sense to boot the exchange back up because it's working product. The exchange itself was actually highly touted by a lot of traders who enjoyed working with the interface. So maybe it's a good way for the creditors to earn some funds. We actually see this happening in a few other Chapter 11 cases uh, throughout the industry where a few other companies are keeping their cash flows uh, moving by keeping the core businesses alive. This, of course, can't happen during a Chapter 11 bankruptcy because Chapter 11 is restructuring. doesn't necessarily mean that the company is going away. Zach, I want to throw the story over to you. This one caught a lot of people off of guard this morning. Yeah, it's definitely within the realm of possibility, right? Chapter 11 is about restructuring under the protection of a bankruptcy court. Chapter 7, that's the death knell. That's the liquidation chapter. This is not Chapter 7. This is by no means a death knell for these businesses going forward. And it's interesting that John J. III, old daddy Enron here from those congressional hearings who came out so gruff and so capable looking, he's saying, hey, we won't be able to stand this thing up because you know what? Some of the mechanics here are actually pretty decent. You talk to traders in the space and they say FTX, when it was working, was working pretty well. Forget about the back doors, forget about the huge loan book to Alameda that may have sunk it. Forget about some of the more fraudulent practices that have been unearthed in the last few months. If you go back to the actual basics, the meat and potatoes of how FTX functioned, some traders swore by it. So the fact that this could be trotted out as a way to help make creditors uh, whole is something that is within the realm of possibility given that this is chapter 11 bankruptcy. Interestingly, this being crypto, the DGENs who are trading the FTT token, the relatively worthless FTT token, gave it a big old boost on this news today, sending it up something like 33% as this made 
the rounds on crypto Twitter. So interesting to see some life maybe in the FTX project going forward. Who knows? Uh, this is indeed in the service of filling some big holes in terms of the money that you know people both on the platform and those who had lent money to it are still seeking. So this could help that process. And if John J. Ray III says so, hey, maybe it's real. I'll toss it to Adam. What do you think? I think first off, we should just say John J. Ray III a lot because that's, that's pretty fun. I got to say that's one of the more fun parts about this story. Uh, as far as the possibility of bringing back FTX as an exchange, I think that there's the technical possibility of doing it. I think that you know all the arguments that you've made are totally valid. I would point out that if you look at the historical sort of context around other exchanges that have held really dominant positions in the industry and then fell from them for one reason or another, I can't really think of a single example where they were able to reclaim the heights that they had achieved before. The one that kind of comes to mind most clearly that might be an example of this is Poloniex which was basically the dominant exchange during the kind of pre-ICO and early ICO era. And then it was acquired by Circle, and it just became less and less and less important until Circle eventually divested itself of it. Uh, it still exists. People still trade on it. Does it matter in the industry? No, it doesn't. And it really used to for a long time. So to my eyes, that's what I see here is everybody loves speculating on this stuff. And clearly when there are tokens involved, then you're going to have lots of people who are betting one way or another. And that's what this game seems like to me more than anything else. But to the extent that they can actually bring it back and use it to generate revenue, that seems like that's a win-win really for everybody. Uh, back over to you, Zach. Yeah, I like the cultural point. Right? I think there was a lot of speculation within you know, crypto Twitter and beyond, right? Are there any second acts in crypto history that have actually panned out, right? And you mentioned not many have ever come back from the grave. And those who have sort of return as a shell of their former self, you think BitMEX, you think Polo, think some of these other firms that are disgraced. And then, you know, through whatever means, they return to some version of operating as normal. But culturally, I think the question is, can it be accepted as something, given just the huge ding on its reputation that this whole proceeding has unearthed? Can it come back from that? I think historically, the answer tends to be no. There are some coins that go fallow that come back. That's also a rarity in crypto, right? Maybe Ethereum is probably the one that, that bucks that trend. It was kind of dead for a minute there came back in a big way come, come 2020 following that Black Swan event in March. All this stuff, I think, is part of that cultural conversation. If FTX does come back, can it come back and can it reclaim some of its former glory? I tend to agree with you, Adam, on the fact that that's not likely to happen, even if operationally it ends up generating some money to make former users whole. Adam, I saw your hand, then we'll toss it to Will. Yeah, just a, a real quick kind of point on the, the token side of things. I think that's also really valid and interesting to point out is that there's nobody who turns the lights off for a token that has served its purpose or failed and then died and effectively has no, no chance of becoming meaningful in the speculative sense that many people uh, imagine that it might be. But what you do find is that tokens don't die. They just get cheap enough that you have these scammers who accumulate a lot of them and then wind up uh, you know, using them in pump and dumps and stuff like that. So so that's, that's less true with companies. It's more true with tokens. But it's, again, it's something to watch out for, especially as these big names, once disgraced, have a real hard time kind of climbing their way back and we rarely ever see it. Will, you get the last word on this one. Yeah, two things I want to bring up really quickly before we go on to the next segment. The first about FTT tokens. So the creditors and the Chapter 11 process here, they found about $5 billion in liquid assets, apparently. But if you look at the breakdown of those liquid assets, the second largest asset on that balance sheet is actually FTT token. So, you know, that's like just what you said there, Adam. It's kind of can't die. And they're, they're counting that as something that actually has value. And if they liquidated it, people would be buying it. But would they really? 
so that is bringing up a question here with uh, FTT pump we're saying right now. The second point to bring up is just SBF's comment to the Wall Street Journal. They texted him about John J. Ray III's comments about booting back up FTX, and he said, this is a shocking and damning comment from someone pretending to care about customers. Great little line from SBF, living with his parents right now, you know, doom scrolling Twitter like the rest of us. Zach, let's go to the next story that we got an even better one. Hot season two, really shaping up. Good stuff. What if JJ Ray the third was red pilled and he's just pumping FTT to make it more liquid and actually return? Wow, this is crazy. Anyway, let's change gears. Let's go to another disgraced person from crypto. Let's go to Rosal Khan, aka Heather Morgan, who is under home confinement, you remember, for attempting to launder some of those, something like $4 billion worth of Bitcoin stemming from my hack way, way back. So, anyway, according to the terms of her home confinement, they've been altered such that she can work for a New York City tech company remotely, which is great. She obviously uh, rose to fame after this was announced that she was involved. There was all sorts of great video content that was surfaced of her uh, moonlighting as a rapper, Rosal Khan some gems. And that was just a moment of pure celebration on the crypto Twitter timeline when this came to pass that an apparent whack job was a real criminal mastermind. So anyway, she is going to be able to work for a New York City tech company, according to some reporting from Bloomberg, and then picked up from the New York Post. So just wanted to talk about that. Look back to um, ghosts of uh, crypto controversies uh, of yore. Adam, I'll tell us this one to you. Yeah, I think this is a funny story. Again, the important thing for me when it comes to all of this stuff is allegations. There are allegations that have been leveled against her. In the interim, she has the right to, you know, to have a job. I'm glad that there are people out there who will employ her. I have zero personal investment in any of this saga myself, but it's always nice to see like not the rush to to judgment about guilt and like preemptively canceling people. For stuff that is allegations, we all have the right to be uh, considered innocent until proven guilty. And I think that we're seeing that play out here in a way that's more positive than oftentimes we see. Yeah, I mean, it's worth going on the roll, right? This is about growth marketing. And I think she is very capable at harnessing attention, right? This is, you know, she rose to fame in the wake of uh, this massive revelation about Bitfinex, right? Which was hacked in 2016. That value of those stolen and allegedly sought to be laundered Bitcoins had skyrocketed in value. Uh, But the content that she had been making in those intervening years was really about harnessing attention, right? And I think she even wrote on the topic at length uh, on some old personal blogs that were dug up in the wake of this revelation. Hat tip to whichever risk-tolerant company is able to extend that role to someone for whom it could be a good fit. It's my last take on it. I'll toss it to Will. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. Like, this is a, a fun little bit to the story that has been going on for quite a while, right? So I think this actually occurred in January or February of last year where we found out that they had found the Bitfinex hackers, which Bitfinex, still a large exchange in the space, but kind of going back to our last comment about FTX, uh, they were hacked in 2016. That really hurt them. And you know, they had all this Bitcoin that was out. They had to launch this other token called Leo to try to like, fill the hole within their balance sheet. People are wondering, where did this Bitcoin go? It was one of the largest Bitcoin hacks ever. And I think in dollar amounts, it might have been the largest Bitcoin hack ever. It was into the billions of dollars. And then you know, last year, come across these two weirdos on YouTube with TikToks who make rap videos in New York City. Razzlecon, great name also. And apparently they were the ones who were involved with this hack. Uh, people are still questioning if they had the ability to hack Bitfinex. And maybe they just bought the coins from someone who did hack it. Uh, because there's certainly some breadcrumbs here that just don't quite line up. But we do have an understanding that they did have the keys to those coins. So at that point, we do know that the prosecutors have some, some really hot evidence there. Turning aside from that whole point, right? It's interesting to see someone 
hire her and be like, oh, I know they have all this baggage, but I want to bring them into my company and see what they can do. And it's true. To your point, Zach, like tech companies, they need content marketers. They need someone who can like really get attention. Razzle Khan has certainly done that. She's been in the New York Post many times. Hopefully with her new company, she can be in the New York Post for something that's positive as opposed to a Bitcoin uh, hack. Zach, boot back over to you. Yeah, they filed to keep the name of the company sealed just given the backlash that followed her. I would be really curious to know if this was a crypto company or if this was just a tech company, right? It's an undisclosed tech company that could be inclusive of crypto. It could be something else entirely, right? It'd be fascinating to me to figure out who is ultimately doing this hire because I think that's also sort of an interesting little nugget here. Kind of goes again to that, the case for public disclosure versus the case for sealing these things. It's something we're seeing with the uh, massive bond put up on SBF's behalf. That is also sealed. We don't know the names of those people who put up that, those funds. Similarly, probably as a shield from backlash. Then again, it would be cool to know who's involved in both these cases. All right, quick correction about Heather Morgan, aka Razzle Khan. She can go to the office in New York three times a week. I said remotely, she can go work in person as dictated by this judge. Just want to get that in there before we change gears. Adam, take it away with the next one. Thanks, Zach. So the old saying goes, don't fight the Fed, which means simply that if the U.S. Central Bank wants markets to go up, then you bet that they go up. If they want markets to go down, you bet that they go down. The Federal Reserve's apparent control of markets is, if not absolute, then let's just say extremely compelling. And most traders who bet against the monetary authority over the last dozen or so years have ended up losing. But is that still true? The U.S. Central Bank has been very clear since they finally acknowledged about a year ago that inflation under their purview is running out of control, even by official measures and that they want to deflate the bubbles and bring down that rate of inflation. According to the Fed, market conditions will remain bad until next year, and increasingly, it seems like the market doesn't believe them. Uh, QCP Capital uh, has a new note out this morning suggesting that with markets rapidly rising, much of the Fed's efforts are now at risk, saying in part, quote, while we wrote in our first market update of the year that NFT prices were a sign of a broader rally to come, we do not expect those to be sustained while the Fed is still on the warpath against inflation and all the assets that feed it, end quote. Bottom line, the Fed needs traders to believe them in order for monetary policy to go the direction that they sensibly want it to go. And those traders sort of increasingly don't. So what to do? It's a big question. Will, to you. Yeah, I think the question here really is, is this a bear trap or a bull trap, right? Like, is this going to go up and continue to go up? Or are we going to see Bitcoin's price go down? Like, that's the question we're going to be focused on. Coindesk at the very least. Of course, there's a broader swath of financial products out there that you can purchase and they trade. A lot of them trade based on what the Federal Reserve is doing. Are they going to continue pushing interest rates up? Are they going to drop them? Are they going to continue steady? And we have a lot of different indications that the Fed right now wants to continue raising interest rates at least a little bit and then hold it steady around 5% as like the terminal rate. And that could change a lot of things in the landscape over the next few months. I think at the very least, it's going to not change things as it has changed in the last 12 months, right? So as noted in the story, the Fed raised rates about 4.75% over the last year. It's tremendous. That's like breakneck change in terms of interest rate. And that really changed the whole landscape for a lot of things that were uh, risk on. So like tech stocks, uh, Bitcoin, things of that nature really just like went right down the gutter. That's why Bitcoin is down in many ways, because the change in interest rates, people are not going to be betting on these things when you need cash flows to pay for that interest that before was not there, right? Before you had 0% interest or very low interest rates. Now it's about 5%. If you have a mortgage, you're probably going to pay for that and maybe sell off your Bitcoin before uh, focusing on digital assets again, or NFTs or JPEGs, right? So that's the story here. Uh, I do think that we, we shouldn't go into price targets when Wendy's thing. She's not here on the show today. But I do think it's worth noting that like right now, 
you know, we see these pumps to like, you know, 5K up, like a little like 20% up. That happens during the bear market. It happens especially on the weekends when there's not a lot of volume on exchanges. There's a lot of volatility out there because not a lot of people are interested in the space as much. And that leads to price going up and price going down very quickly. But generally speaking, we're going to stay around the same level for quite a while until this whole macro landscape changes. Zach, over to you. Yeah, Bitcoin over 20K. I will note that on the price front. Last time we'll ever see Bitcoin north of... Wait, no, I forget what the meme is. There's a good meme that speaks to the impermanence of all these numbers. So just remember that when you see 20K and are tempted to FOMO buy in. I think the thing that Wendy and others say is don't go chasing green candles. And I think that is wise, especially given the broader uncertainty in the market. But yeah, we are seeing some indicators that monetary conditions in the US are changing for the better. And I think we're probably seeing big time actors, uh, sophisticated traders, institutional traders who have sort of, I think, normalized the trading of Bitcoin as it relates to the other sort of uh, risky assets that they trade as well. We may see some activity from them that suggests that Bitcoin will have a bit easier time as the money conditions out there also improve. So this to me is that story again, how we've seen over the last year, 18 months, two years even, that Bitcoin has become just like a normal asset class that big, sophisticated, savvy trading firms trade as they would other assets. Therefore, you see the correlation with Bitcoin to these other assets that are risky. Previously, sort of Bitcoin thought of itself as an uncorrelated asset. It's not really related to the other stuff in the market. I think that's been pretty thoroughly dispelled if you look at how Bitcoin is traded similar to the S&P 500 or tech stocks, you name it, right? So whether this changes the dynamic, unclear. I think this report probably suggests further chop, but those are my two cents. Let's also add for last words. Yeah, let me just put a bow on this thing. Uh, so when you're looking at risk assets in markets today, it doesn't matter if you're talking about crypto, doesn't matter if you're talking about houses, doesn't matter if you're talking about really anything, you can think about them largely like corks of different weight. And the, the water level going up and down is how expensive is it to borrow money? If it's cheap to borrow money, then the water level's rising. If it's expensive to borrow money, then the water level's going down. Uh, so that's what's happening. And what the Fed has been trying to convince people of for the last year and into the next year uh, is that things are going to be bad. The water level is going to be going down. So you might as well capitulate and, and just like give up on it, take your losses and help them to deflate some of the kind of bubbles that they've really helped to blow. But the problem underlying that is that they don't actually want to do this. <laughs> they don't actually want the speculation to go out of the economy. They want people to believe that the speculation will go out of the economy, which allows them to accomplish their goal of deflating some of these bubbles without actually doing what they are right now, which is pushing the economy domestically in the US here and around the world really into a pretty terrible recession that will become more apparent over the course of the next year or so. So that's, that's the Fed situation. It's that they desperately need people to believe them and people increasingly don't because they're lying, because they're not actually going to do it uh, when you actually start looking at the numbers and talking to traders kind of about this. All of this is compounded by the fact that the debt ceiling uh, is basically, uh, I believe today, the US would officially hit the debt ceiling were it not for what they call extraordinary measures. And extraordinary measures basically means that rather than borrowing new money, they're going to take money, the US uh, government is going to take money that they hold at the Federal Reserve in accounts, and they're going to start spending it. And that actually means that all of the kind of uh, actions that the Fed has been taking to draw down liquidity in the system is actually going to be reversed. And over the course of the next four or five months, while this debt ceiling fight goes on and while the Treasury exhausts these extraordinary limits, we're actually going to see a stimulative effect coming from that. So it's a combination of all of these things adding together to make it such that, again, I don't care what the price of Bitcoin or anything else does personally. 
But risk assets broadly, again, using that analogy, the water level is going to be rising. Um, and it will not surprise me at all if we see a series of prolonged rallies. And it also won't surprise me if we see the Federal Reserve come out and do something really scary because they need to scare markets because right now markets don't believe them. And if you act wild, then at least people will pay attention to you. Zach, yeah, Zach, last word for you. Yeah, last word. I just think it's funny how like you think of crypto as endemic to itself, right? Like things in crypto dictating how crypto does. It's just funny how uh, exogenic, I think that's how you say it, crypto has become. It's so reliant on these outside factors, these macroeconomic factors and has traded as such for the last couple of years. Kind of wild to me. The whole this world. Asset class is I mean, but that's, it's everything. Like that's the thing about it is it's not about cryptocurrency. It's not about Bitcoin. Everything trades like this because the way that money works has really been, has been truly corrupted in ways that now cause everything to, to care about this stuff. But we can move on. <laughs> well, I think you've got the last story. Zach breaking out the, the source this morning. I love that. Let's talk about more easy money and talk about how a uh, big crypto team is actually raising money on the backs of down Bitcoin Ethereum prices. Flashbots, the Ethereum research and developer team, is raising about $50 million at a $1 billion valuation, which would make it a unicorn. Pretty cool to see another unicorn out there. $1 billion valuation. They're going to be led by Paradigm at this time, which Paradigm, pretty notable crypto VC company that has invested in Coinbase, also invested in Flashbots back in 2020. Flashbots is a pretty integral part of the Ethereum ecosystem at this point. They basically act as like this middle layer between uh, validators, node operators, and the Ethereum ecosystem uh, in order to send and bundle transactions to different places. Uh, it's pretty tech speaky, so we don't need to necessarily get into all of that. But it is interesting to see them raise money at this time when everything else is slowing down, right? Teams are building right now. Flashbots is raising more funds to get that biddling done. Zach, I'm going to throw the story over to you. Yeah, this is, a, this is a throwback. We don't see this as much anymore because crypto VC is really down in the dumps, right? There's not a lot of checks being written right now. People are sort of hedging their bets or licking their wounds even in the case of a lot of these venture funds in the wake of the FTX collapse. So just seeing those numbers, I think, does harken back to brighter days, 50 million, 1 billion. That's something that's of note. And I think this is a raise that makes sense for this era, right? Uh, this is sort of a much more tech-focused, a much more infrastructure-focused, a much more back-end, unsexy, not consumer-focused, not FOMO-driven investment that could pay off in the long term for those who are able to get in on this round. That, to me, is what this story is about. MEV, all that stuff is increasingly important. I need to know more about it before I try to talk cogently about the topic. But especially as it relates to MEV and I think it's block construction, which happens after the merge on Ethereum, that's becoming a whole new market that people far smarter than I are identifying as a way to make money in these, in these markets. So the fact that I think that the aberration is attached to this firm makes sense to me, but it is indeed a, a throwback to, to headier days. Adam, I'll toss it to you. Yeah, I think that this makes total sense. Echo everything that you said there, a couple of additional notes. First off, this is a safe bet. It's a high-valued bet, but it's a safe bet, relatively speaking. And I think that as we go through the bear market, we'll see increasingly more of the investments that are coming are going to be like this, where it's a lot of different groups uh, banding together and making a bet on a player that they think will play perhaps not a monopolistic role, but a dominating role in a particular sector that isn't speculative, that isn't about a new use case that requires users who are outside of the ecosystem. This is purely about servicing the ecosystem as it exists from a company that's already proven that they're a part of it. So that, it strikes me as a very safe bet and a correct type of bet to see in this type of an environment. I also think that, again, when you look at the moment that we're in right now, this type of thing will continue to happen. The question is, how many other players are there out there really that are investable in the same way? 
that can have that same type of dominance narrative for one of the kind of premier blockchains. I don't really think there are that many. So I think that, again, the bear market will be characterized by fewer of these larger bets just because there aren't very many investable entities where you can really make this claim. And the folks who are making the investments are the ones who have really been kind of just hanging out and have their, you know, have, still have capital to do this. So it seems like it, it makes a lot of sense to me. Last word over to you, Zach. Yeah, quick pitch to Will. I mean, you know, they claim to sort of be able to mitigate uh, front running, right? To make these markets more fair and transparent. They've sort of been advertised as even sort of a quasi public good. What's your take on that? Do you think there's, uh, there's merit to those claims? Yeah, I think there is merit to it. Like that's definitely on the roadmap and they've executed on that roadmap pretty consistently. I think in terms of Ethereum teams, they're up there with Ethereum Foundation and consensus. And so people should definitely be paying attention to Flashbots. And I think a raise like this really cements their value within the ecosystem and that $1 billion valuation, which they're actually inviting teams to pitch them. They're not pitching anybody on, on joining their round. You have to pitch them to be able to participate. That show, kind of shows you like how uh, important they are within the ecosystem. That being said, I think there's a lot of decentralization questions around flashbots in the space. So we look forward to seeing more about that. Zach, over to you. We do indeed. We'll leave it on that forward-looking note. That was another great show from The Hash. Thanks, people, for being here on Coindesk TV. I'm Zach Seward. That's Adam Levine. Will Foxley is here. We are here on Coindesk TV. You can also check us out on the podcast network. We'll be back tomorrow. See you soon. Bye. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.